Bart. From a performance and an effort standpoint, no disappointment whatsoever. This is Pool Time on Impact Sports Radio, your source for goals, high dives, and butterflies. And now your host, Max King. That's our fancy new intro here for pool time. Shout out to our production man, Lou Divizio, who was responsible for coming up with that tune. And Lou and I worked on that oh, about a week or so ago. And uh, we're getting big. It's getting big here on pool time. I don't know how we're not syndicated. I don't know how it's not a syndicated show yet. But, I mean, with stuff like that, it's going to be. I'm not a fan of it. Hopefully you were too. Uh, some nice sound bites there from our past podcast. This is episode six of Pool Time. My name is Max King, your host, and we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to dive into the end of water polo season for the men's club. The national tournament was last weekend, and we'll have you full coverage on what happened there. And we also have to talk about MSU swimming, both the men's and women's again, of course, because... Big weekend this week for the men's. We Women have the weekend off, but then after that, probably the biggest meet to this point will be next weekend at the Northwestern Invite. We'll get into all of that and much more as we get later into the episode. But we're going to start with water polo because the season did come to an end this past weekend. And UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, your 2013 men's club national champions they defeated lindenwood 20 to 15 in that national title game again ucla 20 lindenwood which is a small school in missouri 15 lindenwood is a team that you should have at least a little bit of familiarity with if you've listened to any of the previous shows because specifically the second episode of pool time which was way back in August and you should have known their name based on the Chase Plank interview which you also heard in the intro that's when he said that was the last sound clip break number seven's nose like he did last year not only is that Chase Plank but that was him referring to Lindenwood a player was shouting that from the stands so you should know all about that that's episode two and you know what? You know what? I've been talking about that clip, that specific interview, not just that that interview, but that specific part when he's talking about Lindenwood. I've been talking about that, and maybe you haven't seen it yet, or you don't have enough time to delve back into the archives. So actually, let's let's pull this up here. Let's pull this up here. Let's pull up that part of the interview. This is Chase Plank. He's a former Michigan State water polo player. He was he was a two-time Big Ten champion and uh, All-Big Ten player at Michigan State, graduated in 2012, and he talked about Lindenwood and how that was almost probably one of the more heated rivalries in college water bowl was Michigan State and Lindenwood. And again, Lindenwood, just a small podunk school in Missouri. Let's actually, okay, we're going to play that. We're going to play that clip 
because this is actually extremely interesting. Let's play that. Here's Chase Plank referring to Lindenwood. 13 from Missouri. My junior year when we went to Nationals, I ended up getting my nose broken in our uh, second game at Nationals against Lindenwood. Mm. Um, I thought it was blatant. Um, a lot of my teammates thought it was on purpose and everything, too. Uh, I, if you were to see the video, I think you would think it's, it was on purpose. Um, the following year when we played them at the U of M uh, tournament, um, one of Lindenwood's players, we were playing them at U of M. Uh, one of their players got ejected from the game for punching one of my teammates in the face. And when he got ejected from the game, he was he went into the stands and he was in the stands yelling, break number seven's nose like we did last year. And for some reason, whenever we played Lindenwood, no matter what circumstance it was, I, I just, I played out of my mind. Um, they, we were playing him against that, uh, at Miami, Ohio one year. I think that was my sophomore year. And I broke my thumb in the game before we played them against Michigan. I, shot a backhand, I hit someone in the, in the face and I broke my thumb. I ended up playing the following game against Lindenwood. And we were down by, um, I think, six goals going into the halftime. And I sat out like the beginning of the second quarter all the way to like probably two minutes left in the second quarter. Um, and then I started the third quarter and something happened where every time I threw the ball towards the cage, it just went in. It was it was crazy. I had a broken thumb and everything, and I think I ended up having probably seven goals against them that game. And every time we played Lindenwood, uh, I just I would I would blow up. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I just would blow up, and that that's why I think it was blatantly that they broke my nose at Nationals mm. um, because when we were playing that game at Nationals in the first quarter, I had two goals already, and I ended up getting my nose broken at the beginning of the second quarter. So. Um, and they were they were a dirty physical team. They were known for physicality. They had a lot of European players on their team, foreign foreign players on their team, um, and that's how they're taught to play when they're when, when they start out when they're young. You know. There you have it. Rackham. He was a great interview. He was probably no disrespect to any of the other guests we've had on the show, but Chase Plank. He did. He was a great interview. He might be the best interview at pool time. I'll say it right there. Okay? No disrespect to Giannotis. No disrespect to any of the water pole players we had. Josh Jackson, Ian Wendro. No disrespect to any of the swimmers that we've had on the show or any coaches. But Chase Blank, he came in. He came in and got it done. Maybe it's because he's an alumni. I feel like the alumni are less edited than the current coaches and swimmers. Maybe we'll get some former people on here, and they'll really start ripping. Chase Plank, he was good. I'd love to have him on the show again. So, Chase, if you're listening, call me. We have, we have each other's numbers. We actually had each other's numbers for a while. Back in my coaching days at Grand Ledge High School, Chase was one of my favorite refs. Drop him a text to say, hey, you refing tonight? He said, yeah. So, he's a good ref, too. I always liked Chase. He's a good ref, so... Anyway, enough of the digression. UCLA beats Lindenwood in the finals to win the national title. We're going to look at the final top 15 rankings, but also let's look at how the Big Ten did, because as we said last time, as when we were talking to Ian Wendrow, who's current Michigan State water polo player, 
Indiana was the Big Ten representative in Nationals. They actually played UCLA in that second round, okay? So they had their first matchup was the 8 versus 9 matchup against Oregon. And they actually beat them 13 to 9 in overtime, okay? Only one of two overtime games in the entire tournament, not just first round, second round, whatever. Entire tournament, one of two overtime games. Um, University of California, San Diego, and Cornell was the other one, with Cal San Diego beating Cornell 16-12. to That was on second day. So that was a big win for Indiana, representing the Big Ten, 13-9 OT win versus Oregon. But then they came in the next day, and they had to play top-seeded UCLA. That was the one versus 8 matchup. And it was a respectable game. Indiana lost 10-7. to For the national champions to beat you by three goals, I mean, they beat Lindenwood by more. And, of course, we can say all these hypotheticals. But a 10-7, to that is a respectable loss if there's such a thing. The, Indiana will never say there's such a thing. Any sports team will never say it. But that's a res- as, as an objective observer, that is a respectable game that they played against UCLA. And that shows you how good Indiana is. Ian Wendra was talking about it last time. Indiana's a good team. Right, they beat Michigan State by a goal when it mattered. Michigan State beat them in the regular season by a goal. Indiana beat them when it mattered in the Big Ten tournament. They beat a good Oregon team in overtime. So Indiana's a good team. Indiana's a good team. It'll be interesting to see how the men's Big Ten plays out next year because both Indiana and Michigan State are returning a lot of guys from these same 2013 teams. So that'll be interesting to see. But let's get to the final top 15 rankings here. So this is where the final standings are. This is based on where they finished at Nationals. So obviously, the number one seed at the end of the season was UCLA. That's out of the Pacific Coast Division. Second was Lindenwood, obviously, NCAA runner-up. Third was the University of California. That's Berkeley. Okay, so California representing themselves well, two in the top three. Fourth was Dartmouth College. Yes, as I said earlier, the Scholars, Dartmouth, fourth. Fifth, University of Pennsylvania. Couple back-to-back scholarly schools there. Sixth, Arizona State. Seventh, Indiana. Eighth, University of Texas. Ninth, University of California, San Diego. Again, California represent themselves well. Not that that's a shock, though, because California pretty much is water polo. I mean, that'd be like Texas having three top 25 teams in college football or something like that. You know, it's not a surprise. So California, they're, they're water polo phenoms over there. Tenth, University of Maryland. Grab case and football! That's what Maryland does! <laughs> I had to. I had to do that. That's It's... I mean, you don't get to talk about Maryland a whole lot here on a Michigan State water polo show. So when we do when we do, we got to do it. Okay. 11th, the Ohio State University. And remember, Ohio State is technically not a Big Ten team in men's club water polo. They're in the Great Lakes Division, as we explained last episode. They do that for travel and, and uh, funding reasons because it's easier for them to travel, basically travel within the Ohio-Indiana area. And so they're in the Great Lakes Division, which is different than the Big Ten, though not by a, a whole lot. But again, again, you have to remember, these, these teams don't have a lot of funding. So they really, you know, a trip to Michigan might not seem a lot to you and I, but 
you know, that's that's a good five-hour drive from Columbus to East Lansing. So that's why they're in a separate division. 12th, Cornell University. Again, I'm telling you, Cornell is always a 12th seed. They always are. Okay, I think they were a 13th seed coming into the tournament. They finished 12th. I mean, that, I mean, look, I mean, I feel like their basketball team is always in that 13th seed, maybe a 12th. I don't know. Something in the water that screams 12th and 11th seed, or 12th and 13th seed. I don't know. Anyway, 13th seed was the University of Oregon. Uh, actually, tie for 13th as well was University of Georgia. 15th was Illinois State. Actually, also tied for 15th was University of Miami, Florida. So that was your top 15 to finish out the season. Again, Big Ten represented well. Big Ten team finished 7th by the Indiana University. So that's not bad. Not a bad outing. Let's look at your first and second all CWPA team. Okay, first team, you're probably not going to know very many of them, but it's good to note, you know, first team goalie. Daniel Harnish out of Dartmouth College. The next were players Diego Aldia-Lopera out of Lindenwood. Alvaro Castro de Andarza, Lindenwood again. Noah Orloff out of University of California. Stephen Ambrose out of University of California. And Alex Johnson out of the University of California, Los Angeles. Kyle Rickert, the one lone Big Ten player represented in the first team out of Indiana. And then most valuable player in the entire tournament was Diego Aldea Lopera out of Lindenwood. Second team, Michael Shashua. That's a hard name to say. Got that first try. Out of University of Pennsylvania, he was the goalie, second team goalie. Daniel Davichkis out of the University of Pennsylvania again. Danny Crocker, University of California. Brandon Desa, University of California, Los Angeles. Fanis Tikas out of Dartmouth College. Orion Swanson, which is absolutely the best name in college water polo right now, out of Ohio State. And Bobby Woolweaver, which I would say that's a close second, out of the University of Texas. Orion Swanson and Bobby Woolweaver. How would you like to have those two on a team? Well, they are. They're on the second team. I mean, it's not a real team, but still. Those are awesome names. They may be second team performance-wise, but they are first-team name-wise. They are first-team all-CWPA. Orion Swanson, Bobby Woolweaver. I love it. Outstanding coach is Marco Kubernovich out of Lindenwood, the coach at Lindenwood. So congratulations to all those players, specifically Orion Swanson and Bobby Woolweaver. I don't even know who you are, but that's fantastic. So that's how those teams played out. And uh, so men's team's over. Men's season is over. Uh, the first inaugural pool time coverage season has concluded. Women's season starts in a few months, probably sooner than you're going to think. Their first games are usually around February. Obviously, they'll start training and practices before then, in, you know, in January when they get back. But we'll have coverage of that as well. We'll have uh, some players and some coaches on to preview that season because it is coming up faster than you think. And we'll get coverage of that. So men's, they finished Second in the Big Ten, they lost one Big Ten game this year. Technically, they lost one, and they lost one also in the Big Ten tournament, which was the end of their demise. But nonetheless, great season by them, and we look forward to covering them next year and looking forward to cover the women here in just a few months. So that wraps up water polo for the season. Okay, we'll still have water polo coverage, men's and women's, throughout some more feature things. 
But that that's our hard news coverage for the men's water polo this season. Let's move on to swimming now. Okay, swimming, because swimming is definitely not even close to being done. It's just started. Last Friday, swim team had Grand Valley State, and it went a little not as expected for some of the swim team. The women's team won 162 to 138. The men's team lost, though, 166 to 134. Giannotis, Matt Giannotis, head coach, he talked about it. He wasn't happy about it. And he shouldn't be happy about it. There's some post-game video that uh, was shot by myself. Um, you can actually look at the entire GVSU versus Michigan State recap, impact89fm.org forward slash sports. Go to MSU Sports, choose men's or women's. It's covered in both. And then go to swimming and diving, and you'll see the coverage there. You can watch post-game interviews from Matt Giannotis and some of the swimmers from that meet. And before we get into the meet, though, we do want to do some notable swims. Brian Williams, the senior for the men's team, he he had himself a pretty good day. He got second in the 200 free, which is the first time I've seen him lose this year. And he got out-touched. Uh, you know, Grand Valley had a very good swim. He was 138 high. I looked at the results. I thought it was 139. He was actually 138 high. Williams was 140 low. But Williams got back. And he did win the 100 and 200 fly. I mean, that's his bread and butter. I mean, he he placed at, you know, Nationals last year. I think he was 20th last year this past summer at Nationals in the 100 fly. He was 150-145 in the 200 fly. Good swim for him. 48-7-6 in the 100 fly was not bad at all. Uh, he split that 22-8. He took it out in 22-86, came back in 25-9. He's obviously been faster, but those are two good swims for him, and he got two wins there. It's actually the only two events that the men won the entire night was the 100 and the 200 butterfly. Also some notable swims on the women's side. Summer Strickler continued her undefeated season in the 200 free. Actually, she was 154. She's been 152 this season. Her lifetime best is 149.97, so she's broken. She's broke the under 150 mark. That was last year at Big Tens. It's also the school record, so nothing to be upset about there. So she's still undefeated in that one. It's going to be interesting to see, especially once she gets into not just Northwestern next weekend, but Big Ten season, how she's going to do there. Because, I mean, she's beaten two Big Ten teams already in Illinois and Iowa, and Iowa's got a good team, but it'll be interesting to see what she does in Big Ten season. I think she'll compete well. I don't think that she's going to go undefeated the whole season because um, no disrespect to her, but no, there's there's just faster people out there. But she's fast. She's a fast swimmer, and she she's really good for that team. Um, also, Rebecca Berman continued her undefeated season in the 1,000. She was 10-21 against Grand Valley. She's been 10-18 this year. She was 10-17 last year at Big Tens. And she's a true distance swimmer, and I really feel like she doesn't get a whole lot of opportunity to kind of to kind of show her true colors because she's a distance swimmer. And even in college, they don't swim a lot of distance events dual meet wise. When you get to invites, you swim a lot more. You swim the sixteen fifty. You know, you swim the mile, which is good because she she likes to swim the mile too. She was sixteen fifty five last year at Big Tens in the mile, and. So they're going to swim the mile, and we'll hear about them. That we'll hear about more about that when we listen to uh, Matt Giannotis talk. But they're going to swim the mile at Northwestern, which will be good for her. But she also she won the thousand again. Um, she again, like I said, she was ten twenty one. Um, it was a good race for her. 
So two highlights on the women's side. There's more, of course, but you know, there's two swimmers who haven't lost in a specific event this year, which is good to see. And again, Brian Williams, uh, a couple of wins there in the 100 and 200 butterfly. But let's get into the meet because I talked to Matt Giannotis and he, uh, it, you'll see it in the video too. He said that they were getting into something that they weren't quite expecting. Okay. And for those of you who are knowledgeable about the sport of swimming, Grand Valley did come rested and they did come suited up. Okay. Which is all I'll say on that matter. You know, I, I have, I'm in no position to say what was right and wrong, but they came suited up and rested. You can make easy arguments for both sides of that, but Either way, let's just go into Coach G because, you know, he said he wasn't aware the Lakers would come rested and suited up. Um, he actually has some choice words for Andy Voice. Now, I don't know how – I'm not saying that he was, you know, verbally harassing him or anything like that or abusing him. But after that meet, he was not happy with Andy. Um, Andy Voice is the Grand Valley head coach, and they had a talk – they, they talked afterwards. I remember I was setting up my camera and stuff to interview, and Matt was was less than pleased. I can't tell you exactly what. He wouldn't necessarily comment a whole lot on what they talked about, but there there was a little bit of tension after the meet there. But also, give credit to Grand Valley. They do have some fa- fast swimmers, um, but also realize that MSU did swim a little bit off, okay? And um, I, I think what Matt was trying to say is they swam off and they didn't really realize that Grand Valley was not going to swim off and they didn't realize they are going to be rested and suited up. And when I say suited up, I mean that they wore faster than normal suits. They wore, you know, their invite suits or they, they wore nicer suits than they would normally wear. So it was interesting. It was interesting. And I, and I saw it right off the bat, too, because there are some times that I saw and I just kind of said, hmm, interesting. I think they might be rested. And, I, you know, to, to someone who knows swimming, if you'd have seen it, you would have known the same thing. You know, they, they looked rested. They were, their bench was going wild. So, and again, they won every single event on the men's side except the 100 and 200 butterfly, thanks to Brian Williams. So, um, again, if you want to watch that full interview with Matt Giannotis and swimmers, you can go to the article, impact89fm.org forward slash sports. Go to men's or women's sports, then go to swimming and diving, and you'll see that. It'll, shoot, it'll be that first article. It'll be right at the top there. So that's what happened against Grand Valley last weekend. Let's get into what's going on Friday night. Men's team are going to be in South Bend to swim against Notre Dame. The women have the week off. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Notre Dame's got a lot of fast swimmers. They had six swimmers this past summer make the U.S. Open. They have some really good sprinters. Their best finish from a swimmer was in the 200 breaststroke, and he placed 13th overall, which is good. Um, So they got a lot of fast swimmers. They're deep, and it's going to be good competition for Michigan State. So we're going to listen from associate head coach Kathleen Malloy and head coach Matt Giannotis on previewing Notre Dame and a little bit into the Northwestern invite next weekend. So let's hear from them. Just thoughts on Notre Dame. Uh, You've had a couple days to look at it, I assume. What do you see from them? Um, actually, after the men have only had two meets this fall, so really the focus will be on ourselves. We need um, to fine-tune and get some stuff ready for the Northwestern meet the weekend after, um, which is a three-day championship meet. So kind of focus on um, everything we've been working on this fall, execution, and we were faster last weekend than we were the first meet, so it's kind of just taking the next step. As far as the, the season goes, how do you think it's been going so far for the men's and the women's? Kind of break it down a little bit. 
um, they've been different. The women have had a lot more meets, and um, for the they've and really done a great job with all the racing opportunities they had. Close meet with Illinois, but um, hopefully that'll give us a little fuel to go after them at uh, Big Tens. And, um, and they've handled it really well. They're set up well to have a weekend off, and then we go to Northwestern, and they get to focus on their three-day format. Um, and we get to put together our A relays for the first time in all five events and, uh, and get an idea how many varsity records we can break this year. Men, as I said, we haven't raced as much this year, um, but training has been going really well, and we've dedicated a fair amount of time, both men and women, to sports psychology this year, and um, it's been great. Um, we've learned a lot, and uh, we're definitely using more techniques, and I think using um, all of our all the things that are all the tools at our disposal to improve. So um, we're really looking forward to. Northwestern and getting to um, practice what we've been uh, doing. What are the, some examples from the sports psychology that you've seen come to fruition from this year? Um, one of the biggest ones would be, especially here at our pool, when we, when we warm up for a dual meet, it's very limited space. And so that's one of the areas we use sports psych in a lot, the mental preparation before they get in the water, staying focused when they do get in a pool that's very crowded and might have 10 or 12 people per lane. And, um, and then as a build-up, you know, from two hours before meet time through that warm-up that's very crowded and then how to increase their arousal level and be ready for when uh, their race is then and then to execute their race plan, which is something that we've, they've actually broken down already and um, we use at practice every day. Um, we've used Andy Driska, who is a PhD candidate student here at Michigan State. We've used him in the past, um, and we're really lucky with him as he was a high school coach and a college coach and a college swimmer in his past, so he really obviously gets the sport. Um, we had used him more as the staff, um, and he'd, he had done some stuff with the team, but this is the first year that we've been able to dedicate practice time every single week to meetings with the team and him. He comes to our staff meetings and comes to the meets and he's had um, group and individual time, face time with the athletes. All right, so you have Notre Dame Friday night. Before we get to the matchup, Tim Welch just announced yesterday that he's going to retire after almost four decades coaching swimming. Just talk about your relationship with him and uh, what kind of coach he is. Well, he's a very good coach, and uh, I was really happy for him. Right at the end of his career, they finally gave him some scholarship money to use, uh, and it really they've really developed the program. You know, in the last, say, five, six, seven years, uh, they've gotten a lot better. I've known Tim, I've known Coach Welsh for uh, 25 years. 25 years ago, I competed against the Notre Dame team when I was at St. Bonaventure, so I've known him a long time. Uh, he's a good coach, really cares about the kids, and, uh, you know, it's been, it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to be uh, a competitor of his. And uh, as far as the actual matchups go, they got some, some pretty fast swimmers there. They had a handful of guys compete at the U.S. Open this past summer. Uh, most notably, uh, Zach Stevens placed, he was 14th in the breast, 200 breast. Um, just talk about the talent that they have and, and what you have to do to, uh, to handle that as a team. Yeah, they're deep and good. I got a kid, John Williamson, who's really good, too. He was an NCAA 12 fire enough to fly, so Brian will have his hands full. Frankie Dyer is their freestyler, is really good. Their breaststroke group is really deep. And uh, they got some good distance kids and some really good divers. Uh, like I said, they, you know, when they started to fund the program, uh, they really got a lot better. Um, so our kids are going to have to react. They're, they're basically a Big Ten team, um, maybe a little bit 
maybe a little bit deeper than a, than a, you know the, some of the teams that we face in the Big Ten, but they're very good. No, they're good. Win or loss, what does your team have to do to say, okay, we felt good about that meet leaving South Bend? Our team has to stay focused on the, on the Invitational next week. I think we're going to use Friday night as a springboard into the Invitational. Um, and then, you know, the biggest thing is to try to use, then use this, the Northwestern Invitational as a springboard into the second semester, which is what we usually do here. Um, so we're looking to swim fast on Friday, but we're looking to make sure that we do some things correctly so we're ready to really swim fast next weekend. Can you give an update on some of the cuts uh, for that second semester? Um, we, I know you hadn't looked at them last time we spoke. Uh, can you give an update on that? Yeah, we're about half our guys are, are on the other side now, so that's good. We had probably four or five guys making on Friday night, which was good. Um, from a performance standpoint, I thought we did okay on Friday. Um, but I, I don't know if we'll get any this week. we got a mile. We're actually going to compete the 1650 on, on Friday night against Notre Dame. And a 400 I am. So that'll open up the door for some of those guys to make a few more before we get to Northwestern. As far as Northwestern uh, goes, are you looking ahead? You said you kind of looked ahead to that right now. Um, do you not want to look too far ahead? Or what's your game plan? I know you kind of said it was the springboard. No, I, I think we can look ahead towards that. Because I, I really do think, you know, I mean, this isn't like football here now. Like if you lose a game, you're out of the championship. We're all going to the championship in February. So you want to plan one week relative to the next week. And then next week we'll have three good solid days of racing with a little bit of rest, and so our kids will probably swim a little bit better. But the big thing is to kind of set up next week through Friday night and, uh, and work towards that, you know. Just using the knowledge that you have for uh, swimming around the country, Notre Dame, this is their first season in the ACC. Just by the gauge that you have, how do you think they're going to compete in that conference? Oh, they'll do fine. I mean, ACC swimming is, uh, is good. You know, Virginia, although it's not as deep because they've dropped, you know, Maryland doesn't have a team anymore, neither does Clemson. So, uh, you know, I, Miami doesn't have a men's team. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, I, it's good. I, it's, it, it would be different if they had been in the Big Ten. Uh, that would, would, was one thing I think most of us around here were always looking forward to was having them in the Big Ten, but I guess that's never going to happen. But they'll do fine down there. They'll be fine. Okay, that was Coach Kathleen Malloy and Matt Giannotis, respectively, in the, what you just heard there. So, I mean, you heard them say it, okay? They, Notre Dame's going to be tough. But, you know, you heard Kathleen Malloy talk about how they're only going to focus on themselves. They have cut times they need to make. Northwestern is the last time they're going to be able to make those times. And they want to get fast swims. Then they're going to swim They're going to swim some events like the mile that they don't normally do. So it's going to give guys a chance to get some, get some cuts in. I also heard from, uh, at the very beginning, talking to, to Giannotis, um, Notre Dame's head coach, longtime head coach, almost 40 years of coaching, Tim Welsh. He's going to be stepping down after this year. And you heard uh, Matt talk about his relationship with him and what he what kind of coach he thinks that Tim is. So that's a notable thing, too. So that's some news that happened just this week. But the women have the week off, which is good because they've had a lot of meets the last couple the last couple Fridays. They've been swimming a lot. So it's good for them to have a, a week off, especially with that big invite coming up at Northwestern. Uh, which is a championship meet, as Coach Malloy stated, and we'll get we'll we'll touch on a little bit in that, and then before the, the, we end the show, so big meet next weekend at Northwestern Invite. Um, like I said, it's the last chance for men and women to make cut times. If they don't make cut times, then their season is essentially over until the spring. And Matt Gino has explained that um, in a preview uh, last week before Grand Valley. So. Um, it's a big meet for them. So you want to have fast swims this Friday if you're the men, and then for men's and women's, if any cuts that you need to make, 
you get you have to get him on Northwestern or you're done. Okay, and I, he said last ideally he would have everyone make it, but that's just not how that works. So if you're not if you don't make those cuts, we'll see you in the spring is what he was saying. And on that note, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Pool Time, especially that new intro. Let's let's get that let's get the outro out now. The new outro. All right, there it is. New outro right there. That is that is our new production on Pool Time. I don't know how we're not syndicated yet. My name is Max King, your host. We'll talk to you next week.